Cartel Aristocrats cast number 64. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Gathering Magic and CoolStuffInc.com, who have provided us with gift certificates to give away. With free shipping on orders of $100 or more, a 25% buyless bonus, and their ever-popular customer rewards program, CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined this week by Travis Allen of Travis's Trusted Taxes. I'm sure he'd tell you some tax jokes, but I doubt listeners would depreciate it. I'm also joined by co-host Edwin of Ed's Exotic Eateries. You kill him, he grills him. We're also joined by Jim Casali. This week, we have special guest Morgan Wentworth, co-host of Quiet Speculation, content creator on YouTube. Uh, she's been writing about MTG Finance, really getting into it in the last couple of weeks for Quiet Speculation. Uh, you sort of want to talk about exactly what you're doing as far as finance content, Morgan? Yeah, I am kind of mostly on the current events of finance part with some practical advice thrown in. For example, one of my more recent articles going up was how to get a job using magic at your local game store. And that's going to be part of a series. I'm very excited about it. And we also... I'm sorry, I have a question. Is the article about how to get a job at the game store itself? Yes. I see. So if you like retail because you know how much fun magic players are, you should probably read Morgan's article. (laughs) because Magic players are a delight. Um, We've got a lot to talk about this week. Uh, The Pro Tour is coming up this weekend. Uh, There's been a couple more cards that have been moving this week. Uh, The card that basically all the pros were on continues to trend up. It's over $3.50 now. Glorybringer continues to fall, and we're seeing movement out of Angel of Sanctions as well as uh, the Lifelink Angel from Kaladesh, that mythic rare guy. Angel of Invention. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, as a way to beat these like sort of Monored Tom Ross slide decks that we saw at the Star City thing this weekend. Um, have you guys noticed any price trends with the Pro Tour coming up this weekend or by any results that happened this weekend even uh, that you think listeners should know about besides those? I just want to ask you a question. Where did you hear that Glorybringer was falling? It's the same $5 it's been for the past like a month and a half. So to clarify, Bylister falling on it, they're not going up. Ah, that is the, that is the difference. Okay. Yep. So I think it looks like some shops are starting to pay less on this. I know there's a lot of people that are going deep on this card, so uh, Biolus Falling is probably even better for them. But are there any other cards you guys have seen from this weekend or anything online that you might think there could be an opportunity for or like to dump? So I did see that a blue-white God Pharaoh's gift deck won a uh, Magic Online PPTQ or PTQ or something, whatever the whatever the type of tournament is. I don't know, big tournament. Um, the deck is pretty cheap. It plays uh, Angel of Invention, which is unfortunate because it's already getting expensive, but it plays God Pharaoh's Gift and Cataclysmic Gear Hulk, which are very cheap. Um, I'm not sure if this is a deck that's just going to get better with time, but it looks quite good and it looks quite fun. It's very off the wallsy. So it's like very much like a saffron olive kind of deck. It will appeal to the people that like to do brews. Um, I'm not sure if there's a lot to gain from this, but it's important to know if you see people looking for it, maybe that's uh, a sign. So one of the issues with God Pharaoh's gift, uh, I have a lot of friends who are testing standard right now and a braid is still kind of a big deal. And a braid does a really good job of nerfing God Pharaoh's gift along with some other graveyard hate that people are going to be running for zombies and stuff anyway. That's true. Like I said, it, it doesn't, but the deck doesn't have to actually be good. It just has to be <laughs> interesting. Sure, sure. It, there's definitely a lot of people that buy cards based on the fact that they're fun and not the fact that they're good. Yeah. Just the chances of seeing it do well at a pro tour. Um, and getting the benefits of that are a little bit slimmer than they could be. I don't know, man. You could have it just like the last Pro Tour where, what is it, uh, New Perspectives was on camera, the first round of Constructed, and people bought it out. And <laughs> you, you could have made like a ton of money if you just sure. had copies of that card. So And, and it yeah. did nothing. It just it, it was awful. So if, it's, if it sees, sees camera play, it could be very expensive. Yeah, that makes sense. 
yeah, we have certainly seen uh, stuff like new perspectives and other fun decks go through sort of a cycle of development where prizes go up based on hype and then they crash back down right away when the deck doesn't put up results. Uh, Ed, is there anything that you saw over this last week that you've noticed uh, price-wise? Uh, nothing too interesting. Um, uh, here at GP Kyoto, one of the first things that was bought out over the weekend were both Angel Inventions and Cataclysmic Gear Hulk. Um, there were definitely people playing it on Sunday at like the uh, like the standard PTQ and whatnot, um, and just various standard events. Uh, the consensus seems to be that it's really only good against the Monument deck. That's kind of the point of Cataclysmic Gear Hulk. Um, but other other than that, like people weren't too impressed with it. People seem to a lot of people seem to like Mono Red Aggro. That's kind of the go to um, deck to beat probably. Uh, other than that, people don't really seem to be brewing, so it's kind of a weird time for Standard. I think this is kind of the weird cycle where Standard is as big as it gets, and it matters for so little because once the rotation happens, it, you see a pretty big shakeup in the format. So even if something does phenomenally well, unless it's like unless it's a card from Kaladesh onwards, you're probably not going to see that many huge price trends uh, happening with the Pro Tour this week. Travis, anything you want to add? No, I'm pretty much in the same boat as Ed. Is even though the standard format right now looks excellent, uh, and you could see breakout decks at the standard format or at the pro, standard Pro Tour, the amount of change you're going to see is re- going to be relatively minimal, um, and it will be really short lived because you're, people are just done. They're just done with the standard format, even though it looks good. It's a bad time of year for it, and we're coming off of one of the worst standard formats in years. I'm watching this Pro Tour strictly as somebody who likes magic. Um, I have no financial vested interest in this, and I don't think you should either. If you are going to watch and you really want to get anything out of this, your best bet is to look for the cards uh, that aren't from the uh, what's got its rotating battle block. Look for Kaladosh block cards um, and maybe Amonkhet car- block cards that seem to really overperform that might have been kind of quiet so far. Um, and those might jump up and be a really big part of the standard after October when the battle block rotates. It doesn't guarantee you anything, but at least it kind of gives you an idea of what to keep an eye out for. That used to be a really good um, way to watch block pro tours back in the day before they got rid of those was to look for like the powerhouse mythics that people slept on, like Avengers and a car. We don't have those anymore. Also, formats have tend to gotten a lot better about picking those out. Um, you know, we I feel like we haven't had too many sleeper mythics that exploded after a fall set rotation um, in the same way that we have in the past. We kind of tend to figure them out a little bit better, or at least Wizards makes them more obvious, with the caveat that if the fall set changes what's good, that's a different story, but you can't predict that, right? Like, no one, you couldn't have known Night Vale Spectre was going to be a thing because of how much play it saw before Devotion was revealed. It's just, you didn't know until we had that information. So those you're just never going to catch out. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, and of course, while we've seen this depreciation in standard value and standard EV, EDH is at an all-time high. Notably, the Locust God uh, and the Scarab God are... Uh, moving some of these cards like crazy lately. We've seen stuff like Mind Moil get bought out, uh, spiking over the weekend, which Brainstorm Brewery called last week. Coastal Piracy is on the move as a way to draw cards as well. And <laughs> as uh, Jim pointed out, uh, you could build a hate deck around the uh, anti-Locust God starter pack with the minus one, minus one curses and some other fun brews. It would certainly make for an enchanted evening. Um so with some of these new cards that have come out, what do you think some of these new uh, price spikes are that are going to happen? We've seen Mystic Remora pop, for example, with Solemnity. Is that something where there might be uh, more money to be made or are people just fishing around for more specs at this point? I think we've kind of, we kind of saw this trend with um, a few other commanders. I think like once that commander is in place... Attraction, people- stuff like that. Yeah, Traxa, uh, Layable was kind of one. Uh, you kind of see a trend where the cards, like the more popular cards that are older, harder to find, um, that are kind of, that really push the power level of those decks, you definitely see kind of a surge in them. Um, it's it's hard to say for sure. Like, Locust God, like, it, it's kind of new, but I think anyone who <clears throat> is willing to take a gamble and try and find, like, some of these more obscure cards that do fit very well the archetype. Like a lot of like like milling type effects, looting type effects, you know, most of those are very, very good. 
like Moil. Um, I think the card's bad, but again, it's both an issue of supply and scarcity that will will ne- naturally push it up. Again, even if it's, it doesn't need to be the most powerful thing, it just people just need to be able to catch on to it, and it will just you will probably continue to see some of these continue to go up. That being said, look, the Locust God might not be as ubiquitous as Atraxa was. It doesn't have kind of the same casual appeal of just like Planeswalkers, um, like doubling season type effects, but um, most of them are so cheap that if you're willing to gamble, it probably won't cost you very much to pick up like a bunch of copies of a card you want to spec on. Uh, I agree that it there are some cards that definitely have gone up because of the Locust God and the prices are just going to continue to go up because of the supply. Um, I think that the time to pick them up is past more um, because the Locust God's not going to sustain as much interest as a commander say as as a commander like Atraxa. So like all of the innovation and people like picking up cards is going to die down a lot more now. Travis, any thoughts on this as like someone who could theoretically sit on a bunch of this stuff as an armchair speculator and then get out of it? Well, I think the boat is mostly sailed on the Locust God at this point, right? Like the, most of the best targets were already found out. Um, it doesn't take long for people to figure all those out now. If you have them, sell them. I just listed some foil coastal piracies today, uh, looking to flip those as quick as possible. But other than that, it's really cool. But there's a ton of more commanders right around the corner. We're going to see some every set, especially with wizards paying so much attention to edh lately you can kind of see over the last several standard blocks um if you go back about two to three years and look back you can really see this trend that they've pushed legendary creatures in in standard sets to matter more in edh for the most part which means that there's always a cool new commander around the corner um you know the get rog monster locust god uh there were several more not that long ago, but they escaped me at the moment. So the point being is that I don't think we're going to get very many commanders at all that live in the spotlight forever. Um, they get less and less time to shine. The fact that Atraxa is still so popular is kind of mind-boggling, but it's because it's the most popular EDH general, basically, period, um, not just in a, t- in a short time frame. So I guess the idea is if you have Locust God cards, dump them now. Um, I think the, the train is kind of left the station on those specs, but keep an eye out for the next legendary commander that people start going crazy for because there will be money on that one. I'm a little confused as to why so many Locust God cards are going up and not so many Scarab God cards because the cost of Scarab God, like money, the price of Scarab God is like almost double that of the Locust God, which... Neither of them see any standard play, so it has. It is most likely due to casual demand. Where where are all these cards going for the Locust God? Like, I think that this is just a bunch of people buying them out, and there's not a whole lot, a lot of actual demand for this stuff. I think that the people that are building commander decks are more excited for the Scarab God, which is why the Scarab God is actually just more expensive to begin with. Um, I'm not so hot on it as a zombie commander. I'd rather just play Grim Grin, but I can see the appeal to some people. It's very hard to kill. And it gives you some reach, which is something that you didn't have with a lot of the other blue-black zombie commanders that were available. And some people already have those decks and just could swap the, you know, just swap the commander and just continue to play. So I'm not sure that Locust God's actually that popular. And I think it's just a bunch of people buying the cards out speculatively. And and if you're looking to get them yourself, I which I mean I even am for some of them. Um, I'm just going to wait a couple of months. Like, I don't think that these prices are going to hold. I don't think that this is real demand. And I think that people are either going to give up and sell them or, you know, they'll, the, the stores will just lower their buy list prices and then eventually everything will come back down to it's close to what it was before. I think one of the issues with the Scarab God is because blue black zombies is such an established archetype already. There's not a lot of room for the cards to go. Yeah, I think like like as mentioned already, like Grim Grin is a pretty popular command already. Just under Rolf is like another blue black one that kind of fits that slot. So most people who have the deck, like most of the pieces are already there. Like it's not that hard for oh, I'm tired of playing Grim Grin. I can just swap out the Scarab God, for example. Um, you're not really building a new deck on top of that. Where the, whereas Locust God, a different blue red deck from like you know Joyra or whatever does require like a different set of cards, a different 
design for the deck and like that's what's i think pushing a lot more of these cards as opposed to, like the scarab god because there's just so much overlap that you know it, it's as simple as oh i'll swap out my commander this week and technically it's the same deck but i can play slightly differently with my new commander whereas again locust god is just it, it's pretty different than what we've already seen for the other uh is it commander decks is it really that, that different because like you can just play this in the same deck as like new it we already had cards that or commanders that cared about drawing cards, so I'm I'm not I'm not convinced. I think that like blind model is pretty bad, and you know Nivmizit decks which also care about drawing cards already didn't play it. So like I'm not really sure what's going on here. If you're playing Locust God, I can't think of a card that seems more fun than Mind Moil. Just like constantly drawing tons of cards, like that and Coastal Piracy seem like two of the most fun cards to play in that deck. Also, with Niv-Mizzet, it's harder to kill a table full of people. When you have stuff like Shared Animosity in Commander for the Locust God, things can get out of hand pretty fast. You can really bug your opponents that way. You are the scourge of this cast. Anyway, uh, moving on, we have a pretty good viewer question this week. Jim, if you want to announce the winner. Sure. This week's winner is Wes Kilgannon in Ford. I think this is his name. Uh, he says, is there any market or buy list for playmats anymore? I've been grinding for the past two years fairly regularly and have amassed a pretty large amount of them. Most of them are SEG, but some GP stuff out there. You guys recommend a good out for any of these. Um, I think that everyone has far too much rubber in their house. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you do, but you probably have too many playmats. I have too many playmats, and if I had any way to get rid of them, I would have already... They're unfortunately pretty heavy and large and cumbersome to ship to people, and most people don't care enough about the picture to want to actually buy them from you. Like, you can sell them pretty much at Grand Prix for, like, a few dollars tops, and that's about it. Like, it's super hard to get rid of them. Most people don't want them. Like, I don't know, throw them in the garbage or make a chair out of them or something. Maybe they're a little comfier that way. Yeah, just about every surf, every desk in my house has a playmat on it, and the one at work has my Richard Port playmat on it, and there are a bunch more in my closet. Um, I I did have a backpack of playmats at the last Grand Prix Minneapolis, and I'm pretty sure the person buying them to, from me was just doing it as an act of charity because I carried like 50 pounds worth of playmats to the GP. Um, if you can ask your local game stores if they're looking to sell playmats, because sometimes it's nice to have an alternative to whatever uh, run of art is on the current Ultra Pro playmats. Um, but that's about it. I would have to guess that trying to dump them to your local store would be the best bet because they might have only ordered a couple generic ones and maybe a couple arty ones. And other players may think it's kind of cool to find card art from past years. Uh, available, but I've also got reams of them sitting in a closet upstairs that I'm sure will continue to sit there until we finally move. And I will stare at them and think about the effort involved in selling them and probably throw them on the curb. They're just giving away like far too many, like even like your average person, like if you only go to like two Grand Prix a year, uh, that's like two more mats. And then who knows like what other mats, like it sounds like like uh, Wes, is, he says there's a fair amount of SCG ones. I assume he plays like consulting on like the IQ circuit or like local SG opens or whatever. Like every event that you go to, you just get an art playmat. Um, the general sentiment is that you, it's really hard to sell unless they're like super rare, super exclusive. Like the Pro Tour mats uh, are like the Flip Avison one because it was pretty novel. Other than that, everything else is pretty much a dime a dozen. Um, shipping them is a nightmare. I, the best way I found to ship them is to use the uh, 930 count boxes. You can roll them up, put them inside, and then just put the shipping label on the outside. Um, it's not the cheapest way to ship it, but if you really want to grind through the effort, like that's really your best bet. Um, the worst part I, is that they've added all these ways to do custom mats too. So now it's not even like you're getting mats when you show up at events. People also have a really easy way to just order their own, which didn't exist when like I was playing more regularly, so you only had event mats, but now you have all these event mats, plus the ones people are running for themselves. 
I, and on top of the artists wanting to just like print mats, like every artist has mats of their stuff for sale. So even if it's not already going to be a Grand Prix card, um, art again, artists can just like print mats with Ultra Pro and at every Grand Prix. You see artists like they have like, oh, these were my most recent like ten cards. Here are all the play mats. So anything you want, you can feasibly get. That one is an example. Yeah, so um, I've found that these limited edition, like Grand Prix Vegas looking artwork ones that have like official sketches and they're numbered, uh, these move very well. I actually had customers request for me to pick these up and this is someone who hasn't received it yet. Um, I've, I agree with Travis here. Uh, I sell a lot of playmats that are used and a lot of used binders and stuff that isn't profitable to ship. Just put it on the shelf. Obviously, this isn't going to work for you if you don't have a sh if you don't have a shelf. You can always offer the shop like to do it on commission or something, where they'll sell it and like they keep a cut or something. That never hurts to ask. Um, things I've found that do move well are Grand Prix mats pre twenty thirteen uh, stuff like the original Edge Champion art, uh, some of the original Shadowmore play mats. I can't keep those in stock because a lot of the players like have that sentimental value attached and those arts haven't been reprinted or they're too unique back when Grand Prix are smaller or stuff like that. Um, the other uh, point I would make is star city mats are everywhere. Um, our competitors now have customizable IQ mats that have their names on them. So that's even a smaller pool of people that want those. Uh, I buy bulk Star City mats at $3 each and sell them for $5 each and they don't even move that fast. So that's like the budget option of like uh, someone who wants a play mat with a shop's name on it with Star City's watermark on it. That's uh, it's not very good money to be made. So um, if you've sold uh stuff like ed has you know it's good that you've been there and done matt but i don't think it's a good idea to uh to continue to pursue buying play mats unless they're at least five years old at this point the real kicker here is that you shouldn't even be using mats with art on them they're like distract they're not that interesting and they're distracting and hard to see at worst you really just want a solid color mat is by far the best type of mat to play with and we're always my favorite yeah, but we all have different tastes. For example, I have a mat that uh, has like every original sketch of all the the iconic magic arts on it that I personally bought for myself. Ugly and dumb. What? Ugly and dumb. Yeah, uh, but everyone has their own taste, which is why you see some of these cringy play mats. The, uh, for example, that Chandra and Liliana uh, mat. The original one is at a shop right near us. And that is awkward as hell to see. And he doesn't bring it out at our shop, but you got to tell him to put it away at a different shop. Okay. I also want to say, because this is now relevant, because we brought up the Chandra and Liliana playmat, do not buy playmat art with art from Magic Artists that is not printed by the artist because it was made without a license. And it is like basically you you downloaded that playmat art, basically. So... Yeah, and also that one—it was never made into a playmat by Steve Argyle. When you uh, when you started off that, and you're like, now it's relevant. I thought you were gonna say, don't play with those mats if you want a job at the game store. <laughs> I mean, no, that that's a different that's a different rant. I yeah, I and I agree on everything you would say on that one. I did try and buy that one. What was it, Providence? the band playmat that they never let out. My friend and I must have sent them like 30 emails over two years trying to get them to sell us that playmat, but they would not. I was so annoyed by that. I wanted to, I would never actually play with it, but I wanted to own it and be like, this is this is unique. Look how awful this is. You're one which, of those real creepy ones that, that shows up with scantily clad anime woman on their playmats. Travis, I have like zero respect for people that use those playmats. Yeah, so do I. I would never, ever actually use it. It'd just be like, look at this awful thing that I managed to get a hold of. I have a what? suggestion. Um, this is something that I personally have done. If you see somebody with a cringy anime girl playmat or anime guy playmat or cringy playmat at all, hand them one of your playmats. Bring five of them and let them pick one. I've literally done that where it's like, hey, can you put that away? I'll replace, I'll give you one that you can pick out. It's a public service and you get rid of playmats that way. You do that, you can then you can carry extra decks and be like, those anime sleeves are awful and offensive. Here, take a different deck in plain sleeves. And then it's just 60 basic lands. And if you really want the guy to not play at the playmat, showed up dressed up like whatever character is on his mat for the next one. That'll guarantee that he never, ever uses it again. I don't actually advise doing that, by the way. But uh, 
I, I have zero tolerance for people that use those type of mats. Uh, but thank you, friends, for asking us that question, Wes. Uh, you can message us on Facebook at Cartel Aristocrats or on Twitter at Cartel underscore finance to claim your gift card. And Jim, where can people win a $25 Cool Stuff Inc. gift card bef- uh, next week? Same place you can win it every week, Pinky, on Gathering Magic. Thank you, Brain. Um, I will, I'm sorry, I'm just going to point poke in because I saw something Jim mentioned. When I say banned, I don't mean that like you can't use it at stores. I mean it was announced as the playmat for an event and then due to the backlash, the GP organizer pulled it. So it was never released. That's what I, what I mean when I say banned. Yeah, I understand what you mean. I just didn't realize that they had pulled it before it got released. Now we know what to get Travis for his birthday. Um, I can't imagine anyone has that, like other than the guys who ran it, like maybe a couple store employees. Cause I, I looked, I couldn't find them anywhere. Yeah. Uh, we have a pretty good question. I want to touch on before we move on, uh, from George M on Facebook. Uh, he wants to know how we manage the balance between magic and our normal lives, which I feel like this should be discussed because this is something that applies to all of us. That's a tough, I mean, that's an interesting question because there are essentially two halves to that. There's the how to like pros and grinders balance it, which I feel like we are much less equipped to answer. And then how do people like us answer it, which is like the people who do it sort of as a, I'm going to quote unquote business or, you know, a little side venture. But then it becomes very much the same as any other side endeavor you are engaging in, whether it's a part-time job or making jewelry or pottery or, or consulting work. Like it's just, you know, a function of the value of your time and you have to decide where it's worth it and where it isn't. Um, I mean, sorry, go ahead. Okay. Um, personally, I try to establish routines that involve other parts of my life that I value alongside my magic routines. So like right now I work, you know, seven to three thirty. I get home and then I either, I have a couple of days a week where I play sports or go exercise. And then I have a couple of days a week where, you know, I stream or I'm on podcasts or I write for quiet speculation. So like establishing routines where X days a week you do magic stuff, however much time you want to dedicate it to it. That's great because then it keeps you from every time you have a free hour Uh, firing up magic online and starting a draft which has also been me in the past and it's not great um yeah i kind of have the same thing where certain days were set aside for magic and certain days were set aside for just being a reasonable person um you know when i was trying to qualify for the pro tour i was playing pptqs every weekend so i play probably FNM on Friday and then like one or two tournaments on the weekends and the rest of the week I would just not play Magic. Uh, I wouldn't go to like, you know, weeknight standard tournaments or whatever, even if I wanted to, you know, get some practice in. But I, you know, you gotta, you gotta know where your limits are. You have to make sure that you don't neglect things that also matter to you because that's how you end up being the smelly nerd in the store because that person decided to go play Magic instead of taking a shower and you want to be that person. So. I balance it by living with my fiance and making her do all of my chores so I can dedicate my life to magic. I also live with my fiance. She actually wants to play more magic than I do these yeah. days. Yeah. It's really <laughs> annoying. Um, but she also does like half of my chores. So that helps a bit. Ed? I'm going to pipe in and say that living with your fiance should not lead to you having more time to play magic. It should lead to you having more time to be a reasonable person, you guys. Listen, I was going to go get lunch with her and have a nice afternoon. And she's like, let's go to the pre-release. And I was like, I don't want to. She's like, I don't care. We're going. I'm like, all right. It's That's really, not my fault. It's really funny that you said you guys instead of just Travis, since I was clearly the only one in that situation. <laughs> It's for the fans, Travis. You don't know them. I would like to hear what Ed has to say, given that he is such a well-traveled individual. Card monkey. Um, we were actually talking about this weekend, and um, people brought like the sentiment, like, I probably need a hobby. I probably need to do something that's actually not magic-related. Uh, people who know me pretty well, like, sure, the lifestyle seems glorious. Like, hey, I'm in a different weekend. I'm just always flying. Um every week but 
it kind of starts to wear thin on you. Like a lot of things where, like I've been in Japan for since last Sunday. It's like nine days now. I slept like maybe three to four hours a night. I'm always up at six, stay up super late, especially for like Grand Prix or whatever. Um, I'm still trying to do things back home, like pricing cards on Crystal Commerce. Uh, it gets pretty rough. Like we fly out tonight um, to make our way back. And then I have like another event this weekend and then for the entire next month, I'm in Minneapolis, Birmingham, Jack uh, Friday and uh, Indy the following weekend. Um, it's really, really hard to balance like answer our personal life. Um, like I'm like you guys, like people have talked about sports, like do you have a girlfriend, wife? Nope, not a chance. I don't have, like, I don't bother going out socializing. I personally don't think it's fair for other people um, like the, that I could possibly be in a relationship with. Uh, I, I, I just don't want subjects to like, hey, I'm you know on the road half the time. Uh, it's rough. Like, it's hard to have any sort of hobby because you can't, like, I, I can't play, like, on sports team or whatever, like Morgan said. Like, I just, I, there's not the type of thing I commit to. And then when I'm there, I try and put as much time in store as possible because stuff gets backed up. I just want to make sure things are right, especially when I'm on the road for long stretches of time. So, it, it, despite what people think, it may sound like depression. It's not. It's just, I just have a very, very hard time kind of doing anything other than magic right now because this is kind of the lifestyle I chose to live and it's just why I have to settle with. If you see Ed at GP Minneapolis listeners, you should give him a hug. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but don't ask, ask him. first. Ask first. Uh, no, don't ask. ask. God, don't ask. it's so important. No, don't ask. Just, just like walk up from like walk up behind him and just like bear hug him. Jim, we have to set precedence. Ed's like, uh, Ed's like six foot four. So he'll just clock you in the face. If you hug him wrong. Um, Man, I, Jeremy, I don't know what your sense of scale is like, but oh my god, it is, <laughs> that is the furthest from the truth. Yeah, uh, give Ed a very nice, ha- firm handshake. Then um, I don't know. I think I got the luckiest out of this because there's so much social pressure on me to not do magic, and uh, yeah, it's been really nice. Like I, ha- I'm actually on my last week of working uh, for the governor which basically kept me from doing magic like nonstop over the summer. So it actually worked out for the better uh, to just like find something to preoccupy my time. Um, I don't know how like listeners feel about this, but we've talked about this before, but I think societal pressure to like conform is a good thing because there's too many people that spend too much time on magic. Like they would literally just be consuming content all the time otherwise. And it's nice to like go play ultimate frisbee like which i know dan bach does a lot to get stuff off of his head with his wife or um go to a fancy restaurant and mispronounce all the italian wines wrong as well as uh, who serves said wines with your co-hosts yeah i am on a hard disagree with your initial comment there uh societal pressure or like how to get away from spending too much time on magic? okay so let's hear this well i understand the point you're making you're saying that it can get people to stop being children and behave like they're supposed to, but I don't think that that's actually what happens. Like, there's still a lot of people that essentially refuse to grow up and don't care at all about societal pressures. Like the people who aren't going to care about it, aren't going to care about it. And the people that do care about it just end up making worse decisions for themselves than they would have because they feel like they're supposed to be doing something that they don't actually need to do. I think ultimately it's all about you and your priorities. And if making the pro tour is a priority for you, then you got, then you, then you should put in the work. So if it's something that you want, you should be able to put in the work for it. But you have to understand that if you're like going, aiming for the pro tour, you can't just, you know, play Friday night magic once a week. You have to go to all these other tournaments and maybe like practice your deck once a week with your friends. Um, so you have to kind of understand the amount of time that you are actually promising to commit yourself. Like if I say, I want to make the pro tour, but I also, it's okay guys. I'm totally going to like spend my weekends with my friends that don't play magic as well. I'm committing to too much stuff. So you kind of have to understand to what you're committing to when you set goals for yourself magic wise and you know, real life wise. And then you have people that won't finish college on time or they'll drop out of college or they'll like lose track of focus at their job just because they're playing too much. 
uh, that's something that you also need to watch out for. Like, there's people that just can't control this game. It's it's called cardboard crack for a reason. And yeah, like, but that's not magic, right? Like, that is a personality trait. People did that's this. Addiction, you would people say. Did this, yeah, with World of Warcraft yeah. all the time. Like World of Warcraft eight several of my friends for years and ruined plenty of romantic relationships. It's not the game. It's not the game. It's the personality, right? And like, it's always going to be something. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I have that kind of personality. That's why I stopped playing so much. Like, I had a pretty good work-life balance, but once I got to the Pro Tour and I played my first Pro Tour, I knew I wanted to do better or I would have to stop. And if I wanted to do better, I had to put in more time. And if I had put more time, I would cut into other things I needed to do. I have that kind of personality. I know how it's like. I know that you have to sometimes just walk away, and that's what I did. But that's not... You just have to understand who you are and what your limits are in everything. I think like that. And sometimes, go ahead. I was gonna, I was gonna actually cite you as an an example. So you go talk, you talk. No, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Kind of and sometimes, sometimes you're like Ed, who seems to know exactly what you are like going for. Otherwise, I was thinking about this. I'm like, you have such a crazy schedule. There's no way that you came to the schedule in any way other than like crazy dedicating yourself to what you're doing and like if that's what you want to do i'm not going to say you shouldn't do it because it's related to magic i think the biggest thing especially when it comes to finance and people listening is a lot of people use this cast to just pay for magic and the people that try to take it a step further will make less than a minimum wage unless they're in the top one percent and then they have to go to all the Grand Prix and like do all that sort of stuff. The people that are in between like the FNM grinders, as far as uh, MTG Finance goes, and the people that are grinding every weekend, the ROI just isn't worth it. You have to look at it like a hobby and not necessarily a job. And I think too many people are looking at it like a job. Now you can use some of these skills and you can have great stories, such as like hanging in the lounge with Christopher Rush or having drinks with artists at Minneapolis because Mike knows everybody. Like, uh, you have to strike some sort of balance and yeah, you'll get stories out of it, but you need to look at the long term rather than the short term. Um, but yeah, like Morgan, you had a good point in the article you wrote about how you can transition these skills into landing a job, but this is, this shouldn't be the end all be all, uh, in the end, I don't think. Yeah, I agree that that article is meant to lead into another article that has yet to be written about how you can get a job in the real world. <laughs> well, just like Travis, it appears we are writing your articles for you. Uh, let's move on if you guys want to, uh, now that we've had this nice little heart to heart, I guess you could say, Ed, is there anything else you wanted to add to that before we move on? Uh, once, once I ramble for a bit long, I need to, someone needs a room key. One sec. <laughs> Classic Ed always running around. Okay. Um, so how many hours do you guys think you spend a week on magic? Uh, I'm taking the fifth. <laughs> Uh, I don't go to tournaments and I don't play FNM, but I play weekly EDH with my coworkers. So uh, between reading about it and playing it, probably like eight to ten hours. That's hard. I generally don't play on any given week. I play like once every couple of weeks at most. But if you add up all the time that I'm writing, recording, or thinking. It's probably over 10. I mean, I, we do this. This takes up like an hour and a half. And then I've got fast finance, which is usually like two hours. So it's like three and a half already. And then you figure at least an hour for my articles every week. So I'm like four, almost five hours just on content production. And that doesn't count all the time that I have to spend thinking about it and researching picks and shipping orders and all that type of crap. Yeah, actually, I forgot. I... I do content work so that probably is like another <laughs> couple hours a week so although i'm I, up to like 12 to 15 at this point yeah, yeah. although i do i try to double dip as much as possible like right now i'm flipping through my edh binder checking for stuff that i have for decks i want to build type of thing like i try and slot it in while i'm doing other things as well yeah i, I think i'm currently spending six hours a week cubing because i have a good cube group and like that's the most important thing for my sanity is being able to cube twice a week uh, with my stupid Russian foil cube that as Ed describes as throwing money out of window, but uh, totally worth it. Um, this Normally I'll spend less than 20 hours a week overall. Uh, the first couple of weeks of summer, I was spending 80 hours a week and it was miserable, but it had to be done. Like Those cards aren't going to stock themselves and I'm lucky that 
I can rely on people to sort for me, but on those weeks where it's just too much, you have to put everything aside to get stuff done, as I'm sure Ed knows. How much time do you spend on Magic, Ed? Uh, like, do you count Grand Prix or no? Everything. Just average per week. All oh. of his time of the day, except for sleeping and eating. Yeah, I was going to say. All yeah, of basically it. like 100 plus hours, probably. Oh, man. Well, we feel for you, Ed. We How do you guys feel you. about that job at that card store now? <laughs> so I guess like in closing, like um, like if you look at like Twitter, like whenever you're like in the top like one percentile of anything, and you go pretty hard at it, like there's it, there's definitely a lot of diminishing returns. Um, like I remember Owen Turnwald, he had tweeted at one point, like it like trying to be a top level pro is just not that rewarding. Both. Uh, financially and emotionally like it's just far too much work for far too little pay um i think a few days ago jacob wilson had posted that this is going to be his last pro tour with a full-time team and probably playing magic professionally at all he's giving that for poker because now he lives in vegas and he plays poker full-time um there's a point where like you know like at travis level or jim's level like it's probably fine what you guys do like it's easy enough that you know magic isn't 100 percent of your life and then there's like like Jeremy Morgan and I where we have like varying levels of I, I didn't hear the first part where you guys like were talking about how much uh, like of your week magic is but like for me like magic is literally something I do all the time and like it definitely has its upsides like it's kind of hard to deny that like I've had like like I've had a great time here in Japan for the past nine days like like hung out with a ton, ton of cool people they don't see all the time stayed with my friends and family on the military base they were like super nice to us. Um, like just wandering the streets, checking out like things that you just would not otherwise be able to see. And I <clears throat> like most people probably would never see outside of magic and doing what we do. And to me, honestly, like that's worth it because I could never like trade what I do, like for, you know, a desk job or a normal job, like what Travis and uh, Jim do. Um, like, and, and to me, that's worth no amount of money. I would rather like travel my life and like do what I want, like, and not answer to anyone as opposed to, you know, ha like settling down, having a normal life, because honestly, like that's just not for me at this point. And you have to figure out what you want, right? Like, and and no matter what you want, there's trade-offs for it, right? Like, you can travel every week and have a super degenerate lifestyle, but you basically deal with whatever you're doing 100% of the time, or you can have a normal life and kind of look through it at the other side. So, the grass is always gonna be greener. That that that's just the fact of life. So, just kind of just kind of know what you're getting into before you really want to go hard. Yep. And uh, with that little heart-to-heart -heart with our listeners, uh, let's move into pick of the week. We're going to put Ed on the spot here first because he's probably put the least amount of time into looking for it. Ed, what is your pick of the week? Uh, God damn it. Um, I, you I have think to know at this point that you're always going to be the first one, right? Because like, you're always the least prepared. Yeah. Um, is it I, strategic planning? Uh, no. Um, good God. Uh, I think with the way masterpieces have been trending, like I think most of Kaladesh ones are basically either they've already been bought out, uh, they just suck, uh, they have no, like no hope of actually going up, or there's just far too many of them left on the market. Um, I think we're not long off from starting to look at invocations and seeing which invocations kind of meet that criteria. Um, Amonkhet and Outer Devastation, both on their timing, being the springs, being the spring sets versus the fall sets. Um, just there's just, there's one there's less of it opened um and two like the both those sets were like much lower on the power level and much less popular than Kaladesh block uh there's just far fewer of invocations out there um i'm not sure what i would like to target um i know a few weeks ago i had mentioned consecrated sphinx as being my target of choice i think this week i would start looking at something that's kind of in a similar vein the ubiquitous casual ones do kind of well um, some of them that are kind of cheap would be like um, attrition. We had kind of talked about no mercy as um, as being like one of the more popular ones to spec on when uh, um, our decision came out. Like I think I like attrition. It's pretty low. It's like eighteen to twenty dollars. Um, if you look on EDH rec, attrition is pretty high up there in terms of um, how popular it is in black base EDH decks. Um, I think there may be a time it probably is a little like probably like a few months out from that but there will be a time when invocations kind of go through the same level of buy by outset masterpieces do so if you want to get ahead of the curve invocations are probably close to getting as low as they're ever gonna get so so I'll, I'll go with masterpiece attrition 
for my week because I literally don't have anything else. Jim. So I've been looking at some travel cards and uh, talking to Jason Alt about some of the things that could go up and could be included and might not be included. Um, there's a lot of bulk rares that I think will be, or close to bulk rares that are probably pretty reasonable cards to pick up. Um, even if they get reprinted, they're bulk to begin with, so they're really not likely to go down very much. Uh, so my pick this week is going to be Stoneforge Masterwork, which is a rare from Oath of the Gatewatch. It's about to rotate, so people don't want it anymore. And uh, it's just a tribal uh, equipment. So if we get cats that care about equipment uh, and you know just other, other tribes just are going to enjoy this. And it's close to bulk. You get them for like... 40 cents on TCG player. It's not quite bulk, but like it, it can't really go lower than that. Make it my turn. I'm going to go. Uh, I am going to say Masterpiece Arcbond Revager. He's like 15 copies left. You can get it at like 75 or 80. You will not be getting it at that price next week. And I'm not even going to buy any. I'm just telling you, that's the next one. Have you recorded Fast Finance yet this week? Is that why? No, no. I think okay. James meant... No, I don't think it was mentioned on that. We just released a new episode yesterday, today. But no, it was not on. But it did come up like in our conversations at Toronto. And then I looked at it today. I was like, oh, yep, probably. Morgan? I'm going to go with Earthshaker Kenra, which I had pegged as something that could be going up uh, when we were talking about uh, Hour of Devastation pre-release. And I think that now that it's found a deck that, you know, can slot into it, there's, it's a dollar. So it's, it's pretty, it's fine. But it could have that Abbot of Carol Keep effect where it was a dollar and then it went up to like eight in an hour. I think that, that one is actually also pretty good. I'm going to, I'm going to double up and agree with you there. Um, mono red decks, if they're good, the like small aggressive creatures usually go up a couple more dollars. So we'll see. I really like Jim's pick. Actually, uh, we pulled two EDH cat decks yesterday in anticipation for the cat commanders coming out later this year, and they both wanted copies of that card. So casual really, demand is really, strong. You called them cat commanders and not cat manders. I'm sorry. Which card I, was it? I'm sorry that I had an awful pun there, Jim. For real, I'll make it up to you next time. Uh, next time, you just better meow over, and I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, Stoneforge masterwork, Travis. Oh right, right, right. So that's definitely something to keep your eyes on, and I also like Morgan's pick here as well. I think those are both pretty good picks. Um, I. Let's see if you can play Guess the Card. This card's from Champions of Kamigawa, and it's an artifact as well. Uh, that which was taken. It's Condor's Banner. No, oh, you were close. It's uh, General's Kabuto. Oh, I, I think that we're starting to see Bilas creep up on this card, and if it doesn't get reprinted in Commander 2017, I think this is a slam dunk to hit uh, to at least double. Uh, so that's just something I want to keep my eyes on or trade for every copy that I can because it's already pretty old. There's not that many copies out there. So it's just something to watch. Um, but yeah, it's just another good casual card. Um, where can people find you guys? I know that uh, Jim has recently added another uh, slot on his resume as well as Morgan uh, since everyone's basically writing for the same site now besides Travis. Who wants to start? I can start. Uh, all right. Good. Um, you can find me on Twitter at MTG Valkyrie. You can find my writing on the insider side of Quiet Speculation. You can hear me on the Quiet Speculation podcast every week. And you can find me on my stream, uh, twitch.tv slash Mind of Meriden or youtube.com slash MTG Valkyrie channel. I think we're recording. I'm recording tomorrow. I'm streaming tomorrow, Tuesday. <laughs> I am Travis. Uh, don't I go before you? I don't remember. 
Oh, I thought you already talked. Yeah, go ahead. No. Yeah, you messed up. Get it. All right. Uh, my name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. You can find me every other week on Gathering Magic and every week at Quiet Speculation. I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Write every Monday for MTG Price. I do the MTG Fast Finance podcast. And if you like playing Magic, you got Scry.Land. Find Magic in your area. Um, I'm Edwin13 on Twitter. You guys can see me around the world, wherever I may be, airports, hotels, convention centers. I can show you the world. We're gonna have to like have a karaoke track like CD. What is it? What is it called? Album? A karaoke <laughs> album of of Jeremy just poorly singing songs. We really should have gone out to karaoke in Vegas. That would have been like a good night. No, it would not have been. It would have been a fantastic night. You if have Travis, no fun, Travis. Travis would have been upset, and everyone else would have had a lot of fun. Travis, we would have gotten on that party bus. We would have gone straight to karaoke after some horrible songs in the car. It would have been perfect. Uh, Ed, did you finish where uh, people can find you? I didn't hear anything. Apparently. Yeah, I'm good. Ed, where where can people find you besides around the world? Uh, Edwin, 13 on Twitter. I'm with Crohn's Game Store. Casco, New York. uh, And Temporary Home. That one. Was that everyone else already? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm Zemet. You can find me forever. <laughs> okay. I'm Zemet. You can find me on Twitter at Zemet Sells Magic. You can find me in the great state of Missouri. Uh, find me on Twitter. I already said that. Um, I'm not going to be on the cast next week. Much to viewers' uh, happiness. You're not going to have to hear any puns next week. I'm taking a well deserved vacation where I want an internet connection, I think. So it'll be perfect for everyone who wants a serious episode of Cartel Aristocrats. Um, might have to bribe Ed to make some puns. Uh, thanks for coming on, Morgan. It's good to see that uh, you got a real job now and not a retail job. Yeah, this uh, guys, I don't magic. just own this suit jacket for nothing. This is for actual work. It's so well, great. Let's, let's make this you? very clear. The professionals on this cast are wearing suits right now. <laughs> all the people that aren't professionals are not wearing suits. My my work is business casual, or not even business casual. It's just casual. People wear. I mean, you work on planes. You're basically winging it at work every day. I don't work on planes. I work on computers. Those are different. <laughs> uh, but it's cool to see that both Jim and Morgan have been added to Quiet Speculation, which, in my opinion, even though I don't work for them or are sponsored by them, is the best MTG Finance website out there right now. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, you can also check out Travis's content for free. After 48 hours, I want to say. Best finance for free after 48 hours or 24 hours, however that works. I, I don't know the exact timetables. Uh, uh, it's supposed to be 48 hours, but <clears throat> it depends on whether the author actually remembers to reset it, which does not happen every time. Yeah. But uh, anyway, if you're going to any of the upcoming Grand Prix, Ed and I will both be at GP Minneapolis. If you want to give Ed a big hug, uh, we'll both be at Gen Con. I don't know if any of the other three are going to Gen Con. That's like a pretty big nerd thing from what I'm aware of. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening to Cartel Aristocrats number 64. We really appreciate it, you guys, and we'll see you all next week. Have a good one. Bye.